0: I'm going to talk today about cultivating peace, and we're going to look into James chapter three and just see what God has to say about our relationship with one another. The book of James is about faith, but it's not necessarily the faith that saves you, it's the faith that we live out. So we settle this issue of are we in heaven, or are we out of heaven, when we're always insecure about that, and then we never really move on to become the people God wants us to be. James is real practical, and it says, okay, now this is how we live. This is, this is how we live out the faith, and this is certainly what the scripture is talking about today. Now, I want to remind you of a story you may have heard somewhere in eighth grade or ninth grade history in our wonderful American history. We, we forget how fragile this federation of states was before the Constitution was established. In 1787, there was the Constitutional Congress, and this is going to shock you. So, I know this is going to surprise you, but the state legislatures, or at that time, they were just state representatives, were not getting along. Does that shock you that... uh, Uh, men in power, at that time they were all men, men in power who are trying to make decisions for their states are not seeing eye to eye. Yes, that happened even before our country was fully established. And according to the historical reports, it was getting really ugly. I mean, it was getting really foul. The name calling, the lack of cooperation, uh, the no sense of compromise, everything was stalemated. And so... It was in this environment that one of the most famous men in the world, he was aged at age 81, who had not really asserted himself much in these these meetings and these plans, Benjamin Franklin, asked to address the crowd. And he appealed to those state representatives that they should begin to pray every day before the meetings. And and his speech is remarkable. I want to read read parts of it to you uh, with with some, uh, no edits of what he said, but I did omit part of what he said for fluidity here. Franklin said this, In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. Can we say amen to that? That is amen. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of superintending providence in our favor. Have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? I have lived sir a long time and the longer I live the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men and if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice is it probable that an empire can rise without his said his aid we have been assured sir in the sacred sacred writings that except the lord build They labor in vain that build it. I therefore beg, leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. So here's the atmosphere. It's an atmosphere of strife. It's an atmosphere of conflict. It's it's an atmosphere of self-interest because that really is the genesis of strife and conflict. And in this instance, Franklin, who really wasn't even what we would consider a born-again Christian, he had 40 years before resisted his friend Whitfield's call to conversion. He was a deist, yet he was maybe I would say and argue anointed for this moment, endued with spiritual wisdom, recognizing the power of God. And he came and and he spoke peace to that assembly by turning those state representatives back to the original call to prayer of humility. And, And I use Franklin as an example today. Because there's gonna come a time in your life, maybe it's this week, maybe it's this month, maybe it's before the year is out, that God is gonna call you to be a cultivator of peace. He, he's going to call call you uh, not to join the noise, not to join the strife, not to join join all of the disruption that we're so accustomed to. I mean, we're so used to strife because we want to be clever. We, we want to be aggressive. We want to be witty. I want you to think about this, that we actually are entertained uh, through our media, through podcasts or, or, or through late night talk shows or through cable shows. Those who are witty, those who are clever, those who are cynical, uh, those who, who are aggressive, who don't mind conflict. In fact, they use conflict as a weapon to gain popularity. These are the people that we pay to entertain us. So we are naturally programmed, even when we don't realize it, we're programming ourselves to to be a disruptive force instead of a cultivator of peace. And so there is coming a time in your life when God's calling you to be a stateswoman, a statesman, a someone who can kind of Rise above the current situation so you can bring the heart of God. Here's the first thing I want you to see through our passage today. We're gonna just hang out right in James chapter three. We're not even going anywhere else on this particular Sunday. To be wise is to be gentle. To be wise is to be gentle. That's our first point, if you can put that up. This is a characteristic that doesn't even make the list. Gentleness doesn't even make the list of desired qualities, Because as I've already talked about it, it's it's the person who speaks up the quickest in the room that often dominates the conversation. It's often not the person who who has the the greatest content in what they say, but it's a person who has confidence in what they're saying and everyone else kind of shrinks around the table. And it's the gentle voice, the voice of reason, the the voice uh, that's not emotionally caught up in the situation. The, the the gentle voice that is not there to bring advantage, but is actually there to bring clarity that often is not heard and is certainly not celebrated. But here's what the scripture says. Look, look with me again at verse 13. Here's the question. Who among you, of course, this is James, the brother of Jesus? He was pretty close to the source, talking to Christians here. Who among you is wise and understanding? Now this, at first, at first uh, read of this, you just think, well, that's a nice choice of words. As James is writing, he just writes out wise and understanding, but this choice of words was very specific because in the Old Testament, especially the version of the Old Testament that most of these people read, the Septuagint, that used a lot the phrase, the question, who is wise and understanding? It was a way to ask this, okay, who's the smartest person in the room, right? Who is the sage? Who's wise and understanding? Who's experienced? Who is that go-to person? You know, we, we have that go-to person, like when we really need an answer to a question or we need uh, a leadership to a situation, who is that person that's wise and understanding? So this, this verse, all of a sudden, it started triggering uh, all different types of people in, in, in the Old Testament scripture, uh, there's a Proverbs that called for the wise and understanding. And there's different examples. Uh, when Nebuchadnezzar, and he needed a dream interpreted, who is the wise understanding? and understanding? Well, there's this guy named Daniel. Let's go get him. And so this is, this is a desire to be known. And we, we always have this desire to, to move to the top of whatever kind of group we're in. Wouldn't it be nice to be known as that who is wise and understanding? And here's the scripture says, who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. The wise and understanding is not the biggest mouth in the room. I can say that because I have the gift of talk. You know, I can talk, 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 talk. The wise and understanding is not the person necessarily who portrays himself as that It's not the most educated person. As believers, it's the person who reflects the scripture and reflects the heart of Jesus. And and this is the person that we should seek out by the conduct of their life. We we live in a time of consultants and we have some consultants in our church that are awesome that I would pay, I have paid, I would pay to to help me out. So there, there there is... definitely a place for corporate coaching and all that kind of stuff. But please, please just do this. Just because someone can run their mouth, don't give them money. Look at the fruit of their life, right? Especially in the sense of uh, a godly character, especially in the sense of Jesus-like qualities. Look for someone who has a track record. This is what the scripture is saying: who is wise and understanding among you? watch their life don't necessarily just watch their tweets watch their life don't watch their 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 public portrayal of who they want you to think they are like know who they are who is wise understanding among you L- let's look at the conduct of their life and let's look again at verse 13 and he should show that his works are done with the gentleness that comes from wisdom and th- this is the part that it's so surprising to us that in the world's standards, wisdom is considered the aggressiveness and the wittiness and the cleverness and even the, the, the ability to put someone else down really fast and so we put that person in their place. This is what we're attracted to. This is who some of us wanna be. And these are things that, uh, that can easily sway us from living out the gospel the Beatitudes. Jesus came and he, he, he told us there's a whole different way to live, not in the power systems of this world. We're called to serve, we're called to be humble, we're called to go the extra mile, we're called, we're called to turn the cheek, we're, we're called to pursue meekness in our life and gentleness and goodness and many things that are not just celebrated, uh, are, are not, there's not just a lack of celebration, there's actual a ridicule for those types of qualities that Jesus wants, I'm so glad that the church is willing to learn from the business world. I think the business world has a lot to learn from us. But when our go-to as believers is the business world first, are the self-help books, our motivational books, and it's not scripture, we put ourselves in a dangerous and vulnerable place to find success through earthly wisdom, but to leave out godly wisdom. I can only tell you that because I've done it. I've done it, I, I've, 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 I've been quoting, there's been times in my life when I've quoted business leaders a lot quicker than I've quoted uh, my savior, the gospels, and the things that are the center of who we are. And so it is that this is the original call to show and tell, show me someone's life and I'll tell you if they're wise and understanding. Showing the product. And that's why we, we, we are people of long-term fruit, not short-term. And, and, and we're not impressed short-term. We're not impressed by the moment. We're people who, who view and know those who labor among us so that we should know who they are. Guys, you know who I want to be in, in my flesh? I want to be like, um, I don't know the name of the character, but remember, Liam Neeson and those those shows, uh, I think they were called Taken, where his people, his, his family was taken, then he got revenge. I mean, this guy, th- those were powerful trailers. I don't think I ever saw the movie because I think the trailer spoiled the whole movie. Um, but he finds out that his daughter's been abducted, which which. You know, or or something has been, something like that has happened. And all of a sudden, this guy's able to hang on to airplanes without falling. He's able to shoot as many bullets as he wants and he never runs out of bullets. And I'm watching that and I'm thinking, that would be me man i'm telling you, you mess with my family that would be me i would have supernatural powers like a like a superhero you think i'm just this country preacher from tennessee you mess with my family and you just don't know what you're going to get i'm going to uh, go over to europe and and i will uh, unseat a whole terrorist a uh, cell because they mess with my kids doesn't that feel good I mean, it feels powerful. And certainly in that case, I mean, I guess it is, there is something noble and honor for, for you know, protecting our family members. So I, I'm not gonna even say that that's always even wrong to do, but I, I want now to talk about uh, smaller issues, like when someone embarrasses us or someone talks bad about us or someone misjudges our motives or someone maybe belittles us or someone doesn't believe in us. And there's this little voice that comes inside of us that says, I'm gonna get them back. I'm gonna get them back. I'm going to prove to them my worth. And so many of us uh, have this sense of, of revenge about us that we, we, we carry around this envy of other people and we, we are comparing ourselves to people who are unaware of us. It's like the, the great poet said, uh, Toby Keith is his name, How do you like me now? Now, if you ever heard that song, that country jingle, how many of us have heard that song and we're like, yeah, I'm going to prove to him, I'm going to prove to her, I'm going to prove to them, I'm going I'm to get successful someday, and I'm going to come back and I'm going to show them what's up. All right? Now, revenge is a powerful motivator. I won't deny that but it's a dangerous motivator because it's all external motivation. And often when we, when we try to get revenge or we try to prove something to someone or we try to prove our worth to somebody later on down the road, I would say all the time, the satisfaction is not, it's been, it's not as fulfilling as we thought. That's why it's God's people, as God's people, we're to be motivated internally, not externally. We're, we're motivated by our heart. We're motivated by our character. We're motivated by the fruits of the Holy Spirit. We're motivated by the call of God. We're motivated as kingdom people. We're motivated as, as people that God wants to use. And we have to resist those kind of external motivations because they'll take us down a path where we're not much like Jesus. So this is what the scripture's saying, just plain and simple. Here's number two. Don't take pride in your envy and selfish ambition. I don't like to give points that are negatives and I've tried to work my way around it and I couldn't, but I think this is instructive anyway. Don't take pride in your envy and selfish ambition. Now, here's in the area of envy. Envy is actually celebrated in our culture as a motivator. So we're like, someone else is successful, I'm going to pass them up. Someone else has is, is, um, got what I want, I'm going to make sure that I get it. This is this external motivation that envy causes us to feel powerful. And, and here's what's happened is, is when you begin to tell those stories, other Christians may even celebrate with you because it's the myth, it's one of the American myths we have of the self-made man. This idea that every, you know, the self-made man, if people want it bad enough, they're, they're gonna be as successful as they wanna be. And there, there is elements of truth to that, but it's not the truth. Even, even the great, great success stories of America, let's say someone like um, Bill, um, the Apple founder, not Gates, who's the other one, Steve Jobs, you know, I've read a couple of biographies about him, and he would even admit, even though he was a hard worker and so forth, he was a ruthless guy, by the way. I mean, he was, wow, he, he, was, he was pretty mean. Uh, no, no offense to him in, in RIP here, but he, 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 will, he also really, um, really was aware of circumstances of the, the particular year he was born and the part of the country he was, he was living in gave him opportunities other people didn't have. And and so th- this 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 whole idea we have to push back against it of like it'll be celebrated like be out of envy I'm going to be motivated and sometimes even other Christians will be like yeah that's right that's right you, you deserve that you deserve that and and this we shouldn't celebrate this this is what the, the Bible's saying we shouldn't celebrate selfish ambition we all have it. I'm going to tell you about my selfish ambition here in a second but let's let's see what the so you understand what I'm talking about let's look what the scripture says verse fourteen but you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart. And this is true. I mean, that's a, uh, and that's an external motivator for a lot of us. I'm envious, and I have selfish ambition. And this is what the Bible says, don't boast about that, deny the truth. Don't use that as a way to make yourself look better. You know, one of the things that, this isn't really the word of God, but I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, this is the word of Aaron, but it's a good time for me to, tell you my opinion on something. One of the compliments, that, one, not the compliments, one of the things I used to hear people say that, that took me a while to realize how much it irritated me. This sounds like a really humble statement. I'm not smarter than anybody. I just work harder than anybody. That sounds humble, but it actually makes everyone in the room feel like they're not a hard worker. <laughs> so it, it really isn't humble. And, and maybe we pick that up as a habit and, and, and that was something that was an accidental expression of pride. But this whole idea of I'm motivated by my envy of others getting to a different class, passing up my brother or sister, my siblings, proving to my dad, um, showing people that the Smiths will rise up above this neighborhood, uh, showing people that uh, you don't have to have uh, you don't have to have a, a certain pedigree to succeed. All of those are powerful motivators. And God can even use those in some ways. But over time, they become external motivators that, that fall short. So it is with selfish ambition. Let me, I, I, I'm a very ambitious person. I'm actually, this is crazy, and, and this may, I, some of you may, this may mess you up. I don't know. I, I, maybe mess you up in a good way. The closer I get to Jesus, the less ambitious I get. Isn't that a little bit strange, okay? So I used to be so ambitious like in this world's power. So like one of the goals, I I used to write down all these goals and stuff. So I had this goal, I wanted to be a senior pastor before I hit the age of 30. So around, as as I was getting closer to my 29th birthday, I started making plans to start a church. For those of you who were in that church, I started when I was 29. I apologize. No, I'm just joking. I mean, God did great things. I'm thinking I have faces crossing my mind of like people who got saved and I don't regret it. And I think, I still think it was God's will, but I also think the way I went about it was selfish ambition. Now, that's what I meant. God may have used it to kind of get me going and get get, get me where I needed to be. But it wasn't like the Lord said, Aaron, thus saith the Lord Almighty. You're twenty eight and a half. Go start a church. No, I I, I I wrote it down on a piece of paper somewhere. I had this other goal that by the age, of, by the time I'm forty, I want to write a book. Then that whole world turned upside down. Now, I mean, writing a book just just to me to me itself doesn't mean what it used to be. I guess I wrote a dissertation. I guess that counts kind of, but I was forty two and that happened. But the the point is is the Lord didn't call me to write a book right now, but if I would have at 37 and a half said, I've got to write a book by 40, I may have been out of God's will, right? I write sermons every week. So I'm doing, I'm doing plenty of writing as it is right now. And, and, and maybe God will call me to write a book. I could argue that if, whatever the case is, but you understand how selfish ambition is powerful, but it can also be a distractor to what God's called us to do if we're not hearing the voice of the Lord. Selfish ambition and envy can be celebrated in the house of God, but not be the voice of God. And so James is saying, once again, verse 15, such wisdom doesn't come from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Now here's what I want you to see. This is gonna help, verse 16. Where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. Guys, I'm gonna show you a quick little formula based off verse 16, and you're gonna be so impressed with the way I exegete the word of God. Envy and selfish ambition equal disorder. That's deep stuff, isn't it, huh? But think about envy and selfish, from a sports team to a music group to a church, when there is disorder, start working backwards and see that there's envy and selfish ambition. Listen, church staff, if you're on a church staff, I want you to look at that. Envy and selfish ambition equals disorder. Listen, if you're part of a 242 group, envy and selfish ambition equal disorder. If you're in a women's Bible study, envy and selfish ambition will bring disorder to that study. A men's Bible group. If you're on the worship team up here, envy and selfish ambition will bring disorder if you're on the U staff with Pastor Josh and Brooke, if you're on the Awana staff or Journey staff with Jennifer, if you work with Deanna in the children's ministry, envy and selfish ambition will equal disorder. That's why when churches are in transition, that's a real time for the enemy to come and to bring discord. That's why this is, we're taking vitamins today, right? This is not an antibiotic. You know, like I, I don't sense disunity here. I don't sense disorder in our church. Sometimes I'm the last one to learn that there's disorder in the church, but I don't sense it. But this is vitamins, this is like a preventative. Like let's root out the envy and selfish ambition that is often celebrated, right? And is often like encouraged. I've even had some of my great spiritual mentors who've meant this in all good. godly. they're like, yeah, Aaron, come on, Aaron. Yeah, you, you, can, you, you, can, you can do it. You can, you can make that move. You can make that choice because you have the ability and, and God has a call on your life. But if it isn't what God has called me to do, it's envy and selfish ambition, right? Are you with me on that? All right, here's the last thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you a trick question because our time together is almost up. This is a trick question I'm gonna tell you ahead of time. How many of you love those farmer farmer's markets that you go to? I'm just, I'm just curious, it's a, I'm gonna trick you. Okay, I know more of you do because they're so popular right now. I don't like farmer's markets. I don't like getting my vegetables and fruit from farmer's markets for a real simple reason. It's outdoor and it's hot. You have to walk through sawdust. There's flies all over your fruit. <laughs> I enjoy getting my fruit from Kroger. <laughs> I know it's old school, and it's not cool, and it's not hipster. It's not postmodern, postmodern sensitivities. You know, modernism. Those of us who grew up in the modern world, we, we were okay when huge, um, huge farms would put fruit that was that had pesticide on it into a truck take it to Kroger, they'd wash off the pesticide, they'd put it out, we're okay with that. If you're, if you're a person who likes modern, if you're postmodern, I'm giving you a little definition of postmodernism since it's a fun word to say that no one understands what it means. If you have postmodern sensitivities, it means you care about where your fruit came from and you wanna know the farmer, you know, from, from the farm to the table thing. So the hardest part of me getting my fruit is as I leave my air conditioning car, and I walk to the air-conditioned Publix. That's the hardest part of me getting my fruit, right? So I like it that way. I know that I'm behind the times, and, and a lot of you like organic stuff, and, and I respect you for that. But my point is this. My point, my point is this, is that, I do know this, is that fruit doesn't just show up at Kroger, right? It doesn't just poof, it, it appears. Fruit doesn't just show up at the farmer's market. Fruit takes a lot of work. This is a theme throughout the book of James. I didn't want to be redundant because I brought this up in the last week or two as James is comparing behavior to gardening. and I didn't want to just give you the illustration the same way I gave it before, hence the farmer's market story. But we, we know this is that fruit takes work. So look at verse 17. Wisdom comes from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy, and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And look at verse 18, here's a key verse. Aubrey and Jen, you guys can come up. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Look at this, the fruit of righteousness, if you want righteousness in your life, be a cultivator of peace, farm peace in your life. Get the soil ready, put in the seed, get out the weeds right do all of the methods that you choose based off your personality and your preferences to have the fruit of righteousness in your life but it starts with peace and i want to tell you this as you guys are cultivators of peace you're not cultivators of strife you're not cultivators of discord you're not people who are motivated by envy and selfish ambition because we're following a leader jesus is his name he taught us a way he gave us a spirit jesus taught us that that we are to think differently than the powerful forces of the world. We're to think differently. We're to act differently. We're to process differently. This is not a, you have to do this. This is a call to a better way of living, cultivating peace in our life, allowing God's peace to come in the areas that that he has called us to. And I want to talk, first of all, in the area of family. I want us to stand together. And this this is one of the things the Lord is speaking to us today. A lot of us have spiritual momentum in different areas of our lives, but we have overlooked God's call to be cultivators of peace in our family. And I'm just telling you this, siblings to your brothers and sisters and parents to children and adult parents to their now uh, adult parents, all types of relationships, husband to wife, Father to daughter, I could name all types of correlations here. Step parents, this is a huge issue. Step parents and, and, and parents who are sharing custody of children, and even inter, all those type of interactions. The Lord is calling you to be a cultivator of peace. He's calling you not to operate in envy, not to operate in selfish ambition. This is wisdom from the world that will be celebrated. It will be encouraged. It is powerful. In fact, selfish ambition and envy sometimes gets things done really fast and it sometimes produces results and it feels so right and it can even be justified in a spiritual context. But according to the scripture today, the Lord is is telling us that that's earthly and sometimes even demonic. It's not of the Lord. Instead, Wisdom is gentleness. Choose gentleness. Cultivate gentleness. Cultivate peace. These, these don't happen instantly. I wish, wouldn't that be cool if I could lay hands on you and you could be a person of peace and gentleness? If I could do that, I'd be doing this right now. I'd be laying hands on myself. You know, I endow upon myself peace and gentleness. And I'm not, I know that the prayer proclamation is important and good and great things happen, but fruit... Fruit, the Lord has chosen for fruit to develop in a process. And it's more healthy when it develops in a process because the work done to cultivate fruit in our lives is so important. It's so important. There, there is a lesson to learn in the cultivation, in the pre- preparation of the soil, and the weeding, and the watering, and the exposure to the sun. Isn't there all types of things that God's saying right there? And the Lord is just saying this to us. He wants us to cultivate peace in our family. Peace in our family. It is not acceptable to the Lord for you to be a person of peace everywhere else except your home. That just is not acceptable to the Lord. It's, you cannot. Take advantage of your family that way. You cannot be the hero to everyone else and to not represent Christ and his teachings to your own family. I say that in love because this is where the gospel is really lived out. It's not lived out through superficial relationships. It's not lived out through our culture in which we say niceties just to pass the moment. It's lived out with the people we live with all the time. It's lived out with the people we're with the most. And, man, we're working it out, man. We're, work, we're, we're working it out. We're working it out in our family. We're working it out. We got real problems. We got real issues. We got real communication breakdown. But Jesus cares about those things. He's right there in the middle of it. And he's saying to us, listen, don't operate in envy, selfish ambition. Instead, wisdom is wisdom comes from gentleness, and peace is cultivated. Father, we thank you.